This is the Faith is Not Blind podcast, and I'm Marie Hafen. We're here in the Washington, D.C. area today, and very happy to welcome Jeff to our interview. It's great to be here. Today, we get the opportunity to discuss the issue for people that comes up when they have questions, whether they're historical or doctrinal. And we would like to know, as a context for that, a little bit about your growing up time, maybe what your career is that's relevant for us today. And so we'd like to know a little bit more about you. Okay. Um, I was raised in Washington State. Um, my family, on both sides of my family, come from pioneer stock, so I'm fifth generation uh, on both sides, okay. a member okay. of the church. Um, my father was a university professor at Washington State University. That's why I grew up there. And uh, I was a very, um, uh, the good word would be precocious child, but uh, <laughs> problematic might be another word my mother would occasionally <laughs> use. I was a kid who was always interested in everything, always asking questions about everything. So I asked questions about the church, but I asked questions about everything around me as well. I eventually uh, graduated from university at Washington State University. I did uh -huh. uh, a master's degree at Princeton University and another one at Oxford University, and then I did a PhD wow. in political economy at Harvard. And uh, for the last quarter century, I've worked for the International Monetary Fund, uh, okay. which involves going around the world working on different countries, particularly countries that have economic crises and trying to help them with their crises. Uh, sometimes I'm based in Washington, D.C., traveling to those countries, but I've also spent about 10 years of my career living overseas in different okay, parts so you've of the had world. a very broad background, yeah, is what you're I've saying. I've also yeah. had the opportunity to go to church in many, many, many places, countries around the world many places. and see what that's like. That's a, that's a helpful context. Mm. Um, let's go back just for a second to your growing up years to tell us how your own testimony came along through those, those yeah. years of living many places and asking many questions. So I would say that the, if I could pick a formative experience for me in developing a testimony, it was uh, sitting in general conference and hearing President Kimball talk about reading the scriptures all the way through in one year when he was 13. And I was 13. And I said, I'm going to do that. And I did. There was more than one night when I would wake up at 2 in the morning with my face down on the Old Testament, <laughs> having fallen asleep. But I managed to do that. And when I got through that, uh, I had a tremendously deeper understanding of the gospel and, and of the scriptures. And when I finished reading the scriptures all the way through, I thought, what will I do next? And I decided to read uh, Talmadge's Jesus the Christ all the way through. Uh -huh. And that really solidified a testimony of Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a fantastic book. It's an erudite book, but it's also deeply, deeply faithful and devotional. And so that would probably be the most important faith-building experience oh, okay. in my youth. Thank you. I would share that with you. I read it at about 16. Okay, yeah. And yeah, that yeah. had a deep impact it on really me, too. Did. Yeah. Okay, so as you move forward and you got into this educational, I mean, you talked about Oxford and um, you've lived other places. What happened when you started to see some questions about the, the gospel and about history, whatever would come up for you? You know, as I, as I hinted at, I, I had questions all the way through. Uh -huh. I was really lucky growing up in a small college town in a ward where basically most of the men were college professors, and they weren't particularly taken aback by a kid who wants to question everything. 
I think if I had grown up in another ward that was a bit more hardline, I may not be here today, to be honest with you. But I had a lot of understanding uh -huh. people okay. who wouldn't uh, be taken aback by hearing those questions and would do their best to address them. I was also helped greatly by several institute instructors at, at college and in graduate school who would also take the attitude of not pushing aside the questions or push it, putting me down for doubting things, for but, but try to address them as best they could. Uh, not all the questions obviously have answers, at least that we right, have in this right. life, but they would do their best to take them seriously. And, and I really feel that without that, I probably would have gone a different direction in those days. Can you think back to a particular time when uh, a specific institute teacher might have answered a question for you that was satisfying, that gave you enough you know, foundation that you would say, okay, that's okay, I can move ahead? Well, I, I, I had a, a wonderful institute teacher at Princeton University. Uh, he had a master's degree in theology from Harvard Divinity School. Uh -huh. And so he was prepared to deal with these questioning graduate students, and it was just graduate students in this particular class. And, and he would be willing to tackle all the types of questions. We spent an entire semester doing the Book of Romans and using a non-LDS oh, oh. uh, theology text to uh -huh. address the Book uh -huh. of Romans. Uh -huh. And of course, as you know, Romans is, at least superficially, grace is important, works are not important. And so there are a lot of questions that came about from that that he would address. Uh, but we had, as a small group of graduate students, we had no end of questions for uh -huh. him. I'll bet. And at one point, one of my classmates said to the teacher, how did you deal with all these questions in your life? And he looked at us and he said, you know, I just stopped thinking so much for a few years. Oh. At the time, I thought that was a terrible answer. That was like a ridiculous answer. We're graduate students, we're learning academically. But a few years later, I realized what he was talking about, which is if you get involved in living the gospel and serving in callings and raising a family, those questions are no longer in the front of your mind bothering you every day. They kind of retreat to the background for a while. And after a while, you also realize those aren't, they aren't so important as the things that are in the front of your mind, like living the gospel life and serving and calling and having a family and raising them in the church. And so that was a question that he answered in a way that I didn't like at the time, but I've thought about it many times since then. It's kind of come back to, to have deep meaning for me. Okay. Again, it might be helpful to those who are listening who have the kinds of questions, although um, maybe not the same ones, to know is there a time when you can remember in your life where you came up against, I've got to do something or I've got to not think so much, or uh, a calling that came to you where you felt, as you've mentioned, to serve is to help, to, to not take those questions so seriously that they would take you out, as you said earlier, if you yeah. had not had the kinds of experiences. So if we, if we fast forward a, a, two years from this experience at Princeton, I was at Oxford University in England. Okay. I was assigned, uh, at the time, Oxford had a ward and a branch in the church, and I was assigned to the branch. And it was a pretty small branch and pretty weak. And I had no peers there. I got no satisfaction oh. out of going to church. And I remember one Sunday morning waking up in my room and saying, I'm not going to go to church anymore. But for some reason, that day I said, I'm going today, but I'm not going after this. I, I'm, wow. I'm done with this. Wow. Because I don't get anything. Because from I'm not getting anything out of it. I don't fit in. I, you know, they don't understand me. I don't relate to them. That Sunday I went to church. The branch president called me aside and asked me to be primary teacher for some 10-year-old boys who were 
behavior problems. Oh. <laughs> and I spent the next year teaching primary to those boys, and that gave me a reason to go every Sunday. Okay. Okay. And that, I'd like to think I had some small impact on those <laughs> boys, but it had a major impact on me. Okay. I, it was no longer the questions, and it was no longer do I fit in, it was what can I do for somebody uh, else okay. at church. And that made a huge difference to me because, let's be honest, even today sometimes you, have a, you don't get much out of the Sunday school lesson or the primary lesson or the, or the Relief Society lesson. But if you're not going to get something, if you're going to give something, that, that changes your whole mentality about yeah. why you're there. Okay. And that, that was a radical change for me. Now, when the bishop asked you to do that, how did you feel about that calling? I mean, these are 10-year-old boys, and you're at Oxford as a graduate student. I, I was pretty hesitant. What he said to me literally was, we have a set of boys. None of the women can control them, so uh, we need a man there. Could okay. you do it? Could you try? And I was like, okay, I'll give it a try. And then I came to fall in love with these little boys and I took them ice skating and we did little activities and I would have chart if they behaved, they got a point and if they got enough points, they got treats. And, and it just became something that was rewarding to me. So. Okay, I can understand that. Mm. Um, having taught just that age in primary. Um, let's talk a little bit about as time went forward then, you found some satisfaction in that particular calling. Uh, have there been other experiences like that? Maybe there weren't 10-year-old boys. Maybe it was even something that you would consider more difficult. I don't, I'm not sure, but I'm just wondering how you have come to what you mentioned earlier. Uh, in part because I, I speak other languages and I've lived in many places, I've often been in, in church circumstances where there aren't a lot of people who have a lot of leadership ability. So I've ended up in uh, two branch presidencies and three bishoprics and a stake presidency over the years, sometimes okay. overseas, okay. sometimes here in the U.S. with Spanish-speaking congregations. And, you know, when you're asked to help others, I've always said yes. And then, you know, if, if you're a branch president of a Spanish branch, which I was up here in Gaithersburg, Maryland, for, for, for several years, you're, you're working so hard to help those people. Their level of gospel understanding is often pretty low. Yes. They're not highly educated. Oftentimes they're new converts. And you're not asking questions about how many years it took to create the earth or you know what was the Adam-God theory all about with Brigham Young. You're talking about faith, repentance, baptism, confirmation. Okay. You know, if you're in the service of your fellow beings, you're in the service of your God. And, and that was helpful for me to take me away from the more esoteric questions and by service focusing me on those, on those basic elements. That's okay. been crucial for me. So you mentioned as we talked a little earlier that you had come to kind of an, an idea of um, serving God would help you not consider those difficult questions, but you began to discriminate between what was more important and what was maybe not so important. Yes. How did you come to that? So, so I would play a little, actually a little intellectual game with myself. I would uh -huh. say to myself, if I died and went to heaven and I found out that X was true or X was false, would it change my fundamental view of the gospel? Okay. So for example, if I die and I go up to heaven and Jesus tells me that the earth was actually created in seven 24-hour days, which I don't believe right now, I believe okay. it was created through evolution, okay. would that make a difference? And the answer is no, it wouldn't make a difference. 
I would be happy to be there. The gospel life that I had lived would still be the same. It wouldn't change anything for me. And you can ask that question about many things. If Joseph Smith had this or that moral failing, would it change the fact that the Book of Mormon is, is a true scripture or the Doctrine and Covenants has wonderful insights for us? And the answer is no, it wouldn't if I play that hypothetical game. And, and I've come down to, to the sense that what is the real core of the gospel is actually quite small. And the rest of it is all condiments. It can be okay. called condiments Okay, condiments. Okay. <laughs> right, it comes okay. along with the main dish. So what is, what is the core? The core, I take it from the temple recommend questions. Ah, if you look okay. at the temple recommend questions, there are only three questions that deal with what we believe. Everything else is about what we do. Do you pay your tithing? Do you keep the law of chastity, et cetera, et cetera? What are we supposed to believe according to the temple recommend questions? Do you believe in God, the eternal Father, in his son, Jesus Christ, and in the Holy Ghost? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is your savior and redeemer and that he paid for your sins? And do you believe that the gospel was restored in the latter days? After everything else is just icing on the cake as far as I'm concerned. And, and, and the fact that all the other temple recommend questions are about how we live our lives reinforces to me this idea that we're really here to serve. That's the main focus. We believe the core, we serve, we try to learn as much as we can. I still love into investigating all these questions, but I don't feel like I need to leave the church if I don't have an answer today. I can still live with that ambiguity as long as I've got that core with me. Uh, my favorite church song of all is uh, the primary song, I'm Trying to Be Like Jesus. Yes. Oh, because yes. what that song says basically is, um, I, I'm trying to be like Jesus, I'm following in his ways, I'm trying to be like he, he is in all that I do and say. At times I'm tempted to make a wrong choice, but when I do, I hear the still voice that says to me, love one another like Jesus loves you, try to show kindness in all that you do, be gentle and kind in deed and in thought, for these are the things Jesus taught. That's what the gospel is for me. It's doing those things there. Of course, you have to have a fundamental faith in Jesus to do them. That's why you want to be okay. like Jesus. Yes. But after that, it's about being gentle and loving indeed and in thought, trying to live like Jesus. And uh, when you think about it that way, all those esoteric doctrinal questions or those esoteric historical questions, they kind of fade away. They, and they, they don't go completely away. They yes, never go yes. completely no, away. No, they're important, but not as. Yeah, but they're not as important. They're not crucial. They're not the kind of question that if I get up into the, into the gates of heaven and they tell me I've got the wrong belief on that, that it would change my eternal destiny or right, change my right, belief. Right. right. So that's, that's, that's how I kind of have dealt okay. with it. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. Let, let me just ask one other question because you've mentioned becoming like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And you've talked about how you've always been questioning that that has been, you're, you've got an inquisitive mind. Could you compare your relationship with Christ based on your thinking compared to your relationship with him based on your doing? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I've always thought of my testimony as having three pillars. Okay. One is, intellectual. It's okay. what I know about the gospel. Okay. And there is tremendous richness there. I find the gospel to have a deep, deep intellectual satisfaction 
even yeah. though there are things on the edges yes. here and there yes. that I don't understand or they don't make sense to me. But, but basically, you read some of the scriptures in the Doctrine and Covenants. You read Joseph Smith's King Follett sermon. And even in the King Follett sermon, uh, Joseph Smith says, this is true doctrine. You can taste it, or something to that effect. I'm not quoting yes. him exactly. And this is a funeral, and, and right? That, yes, this is a funeral. The funeral of King Poet. Okay. And, and that's how I feel intellectually. I read some of that material, and I think this just tastes right. You know, scientists uh, often talk about a proof or a theorem being elegant and beautiful. Uh -huh, that's uh -huh, the way I feel uh -huh, about those uh -huh. doctrines from an intellectual standpoint. The second part of my testimony is clearly the the doing side, the service side. You know, I have gone great satisfaction in my life from learning to serve others and learning to serve in callings and serving my family, etc. And, and so that has become a huge practical element. The, Eugene England wrote this article many years ago where he talked about the church being as true as the gospel. Mm -hmm. And his argument was essentially the church is an organization that puts us together and forces us to learn to be like Jesus. Uh -huh. I think the family is the same way. The family is the ultimate way that forces us to be like Jesus. Mm -hmm. We learn to love people and serve them and, and help them even when we don't agree with them, even when they drive us crazy. And, and so that's part of becoming like Jesus. Yeah. It's even the, when they don't think the way we do. Or it's taking not. our rough stone and knocking off the edges to make us more like yeah. Jesus. Yeah. So that's the practical side. The third side is sort of this emotional, spiritual side. Okay. And, and to be honest with you, that's not the strongest of mine. I've had a few experiences that were very profound spiritually, but I've had others that kind of went the wrong direction and, I, and I, I didn't understand how it turned out. I thought something was true, I felt really strongly and then it turned out to be wrong. So uh, I have that, but it's, also, it's generally in those core areas, right? So I have a really strong feeling about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay. I don't have the same feeling about every aspect of the gospel, but that's enough, it's enough. That's, that's what I have had to learn over the years, that's enough. I don't need to have a strong feeling about every little thing or about every little program. If I've got the core there, if yeah. I know that Jesus Christ is my Savior, if I know the gospel was restored, and if I believe in God the Father, in His Son Jesus Christ, and in the Holy Ghost, that's enough. That's if I have a spiritual witness of those things, that's yes. enough. And I do have spiritual witnesses of many other things, but, but that core has been what has kept me going. And in particular, after reading Jesus the Christ at age 15, huh. That has really been the one thing that hasn't wavered as much. All the other doubts I've had, I've always had a strong testimony of Jesus Christ, Christ. himself. And a tender relationship with him. I, I feel sense like that. that. Yeah, I feel like that, yeah. yeah. Your core and the fact that you grew up in a home, an environment where the, your questions were answered, gave you the foundation then and the confidence. It sounds to me like where you could move ahead and say, okay, now how can I work with this? How can I use what I know that would be helpful to other people. Exactly. And, and of course, one of the things that I try to do when I have the opportunity is to use the intellectual experience that I've had to talk with other people who have had those problems. Challenges. Because I've been there. Uh -huh. I know what it's like. And even if that particular doubt is not one that I've had, I've been in the doubting mode for a good part of my life, and I still have a lot of questions that I know won't be answered in this life. So I can kind of relate very closely to those people. But it doesn't keep you from serving. It doesn't keep you from keeping that relationship exactly. strong. In fact, it's a mechanism, it's another way to serve, to use the fact yes. that I've been a doubter to address the other doubters that may be in my ward or my stake or, or, or yes. wherever I may encounter them on the okay. internet or whatever. Okay.
Well, thank you very much. This has been altogether too short, but I've appreciated so much your willingness to share what you have experienced and capture it for us the way that you have. Well, thank you thank very you much. Thank you very it's much. It's been a great experience. Thank you. <laughs>